Hey, one thing that you should know that's really, really cool is we had a wonderful, and many of you know this, trunk or treat yesterday. It was awesome. Yeah, it was super cool. Like, like literally, I was at the welcome table, so I got to see how many people were coming through. We had 371 people come through, and we had 80 volunteers. Okay, now Hillcrest, Hillcrest, seriously, I'm glad you're sitting down because I don't know if I've ever announced that we've had 80 volunteers at anything, so thank you. Thank you, okay, and then those that you weren't, that weren't there, like, okay, we know who you are, and we're paying attention, and we're going to be watching next time we're looking for signups, but, I mean, how cool is that? Like, I mean, I'm not good at math, but it's like 450 people that were down there yesterday from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock being welcomed to a church. Like, that's what we want to be. Like, that's the kind of place we want to be, is we want to be a welcoming place, not just for those that participate in worship here, but also those in our community uh, that, that can be there. Uh, literally, okay, so I've been here a little over 25 years, so I know a lot of you, if not most of you, if not all of you. I didn't know 90% of the people that came through yesterday. Again, love it, right? Like, more of that, please. More of that, please. And, and so it was just, it was great. And Brandon was the DJ. Maybe that's why there's so many people here, because Brandon was the DJ uh, doing that, but I don't know. It was super cool. Um, again, welcome to the Carlsons that are here, longtime covenant missionaries. When did you guys start as covenant missionaries? In the 80s, was it? 83. 83. Man, I don't remember 83, okay? <laughs> and I'm kind of feeling the age a little bit nowadays. So anyway, since 1983, they've been serving the Lord faithfully, um, and we're just thankful for that and thankful for um, just the impact that you've made for the kingdom. Certainly the partnership with our denomination and, and with Hillcrest is really cool. So strongly encourage you guys afterwards to, to say hi to the Carlsons as you leave. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to share with all of us six important words that I believe will help us understand what the kingdom of God looks like and how God expects his followers to live in that kingdom, to live in that kingdom. I'm going to stress the word live. This isn't a message to make you nod your head and go, oh, that's really cool. That's really good. Or you might not say cool. You might say, that's crazy. I know, I don't, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But for those of you that say, nod your head and say, yeah, that's really good. Um, that, that is not what we want. We don't want just, yes, that was good. We want, okay, let's go do this. That is our goal here today that we would go live our faith, that we would, um, like as, as Jason um, sang about and is going um, to talk more about later in the song or sing about in the songs, like we want to be kingdom people that um, Jesus said, those of you who put my words into practice are like a house with a solid foundation. We do not want to be people that just hear God's words and don't put them into practice. We want to be people that put God's words into practice. So um, again, I want to share with you right now six words that are going to help frame up what we are talking about today. You don't have to repeat those words back to me, but I'm going to share those right now. Okay, the first word is ought. The second word is, is, literally is. So ought, is, can be, will be. All right, think about that. Ought is, can be, will be. Those are the six words that I'm hoping that we, that will frame up our discussion about what it means to be kingdom people. And I want to explain those words as we go along. Like, for instance, the first word ought. The first word ought represents who, the, like, like the way when God created the heavens and the earth, he created it how it ought to be. Right? Like you go back to the beginning of Genesis. If you open up your Bibles, you go to Genesis 1, and we see that God is a creator God. 
And God is not just a creator God that does some crazy science project and here we have what we have today. No, what did God do to create things? He did what? He spoke and things happened, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome. Like to have that kind of like power is po- like, like literally powerful. Like to, to be able to speak and poof, something happens. There's nobody else in the history of the world that could ever do that but God. And God spoke the world into existence. He said, let there be light. And what happened? Light happened. Okay, he said, let there be darkness, darkness. Like, let there be water, water. Like, all those things happened because God spoke them into existence. And he created a beautiful place called Earth. And all the galaxies and everything that went along with it. And, it was, and then Adam and Eve came along. And I, it makes me, when I hear the word odd, it actually makes me think of a question a middle schooler asked me when I was a middle school pastor here at Hillcrest. A middle school guy came up to me and he said, hey, Nate, I got a question for you. Um, so, like, our world's kind of a messed up place and there's a lot of, like, not so great things happening. Why didn't God just create it perfect in the first place? Right? That's a great, is that not a great question? Like, probably a question that many of us kind of wonder out loud sometimes or just keep it to ourselves. But, but I was like, man, that's, that's really good. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And when we open up God's word, it was clear that at the beginning of God's word, things were actually perfect. Like, when God created everything, things were perfect. It was the way it ought to be, if I can say it that way. It was the way it ought to be. Adam and Eve were here. They had not committed any sin, but God put a tree because he knew that for love to be loved, there had to be a choice. And he said, stay away from that tree. But if you stay away from that tree, just live your life to the fullest. But we know that they chose not to listen to God, right? We know that they chose to disobey God. And by disobeying God, they went to the tree and they committed sin. And sin is another word, the word that we're using for is today. Is represents the brokenness in our world. It's the way the world is now. I know that's bad English, okay? All you English people, forgive me for that. But it's the way the world is. It's broken. There's broken relationships. There's broken unity with God. Like, there's, like we're all sinful people, every one of us in this room. We're all broken people because of that decision. And it's the way the world is. But the beauty of following Jesus, the beauty of the kingdom that he is creating on earth as it is in heaven, is that we don't have to be stuck in our is. You and I don't have to be stuck in our brokenness. We don't have to be defined by the brokenness in our life. We actually, because Jesus came to this earth in John 1 and he put on flesh and he lived amongst us. And then eventually Jesus did what? He died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't just stay on the cross. He rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he gave us the opportunity to have life and have it to the fullest. We got to experience his kingdom in ways that we could have never imagined. And we got to experience who we can be when we put our faith and our trust in a risen Savior. See, that's what can be is. Can be, we don't have to be stuck in our sin. We don't have to be stuck in our brokenness. We can be this, as scripture would say, a new creation. A new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to peel back those, those words a little bit. We'll get to the will be here in a little bit. But today what I want to do is I want to look at a story from the Old Testament. And the story in the Old Testament is, uh, is a story um, where the prophet Micah was sent by God 
to the Israelites. So Micah sent, God sent Micah to the Israelites to confront the people and to call them out on their sin and to challenge them to live into who they can be if they humble themselves and choose to let God be the authority in their life, not their pagan gods. But before we dive into this text from the Old Testament, what I want to do is I want to do a quick review. I want to review what we've been talking about in the last few weeks in case you've missed any Sundays with us. Um, in, week, in, in week number one, by the way, we're talking about a series called The Kingdom. And in week, uh, week number one, uh, Pastor Nate talked about how the kingdom has a king and that king sits on a throne. And that king who is God has authority over our lives. The king isn't equal to us. The king has authority. Here at Hillcrest Covenant Church, we worship the king. And we make decisions not based on what we think we should do, but we open up God's word and we, says, and we ask, what does the king say about how we should live in the kingdom that he has planted us in right now? In week number two, last week, Pastor Nate talked about how the kingdom of God has purpose and is like a garden. It's here, but it's not in its fullness. We see this reality when we look around and we witness the pain and the suffering that's around us. We see the brokenness. We see the sin. We see those kind of things. And we see that it is not the way it was originally intended to be. But we have hope. And this week, we're going to be talking about how we, as citizens of, in God's kingdom, how we live with purpose but we also live in the tension of the is, if I can say that, and the can be. Like we live in this tension. And in this tension is where we, where God calls us to submit to his way and his boundaries in our, in our life. That we follow him step by step as best as we possibly can. And to help us get a better look at what it looks like, we are going to look at Micah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Micah chapter 6. And before we even get into the text, what I want to do is I want to take a moment to talk about the context of what's happening around Micah 6. And it's important to understand the context because it helps us understand why Micah said what he said or why God spoke through Micah to speak to the Israelite people, to confront them on their sin on the brokenness in their life, on the, on the empty promises that they had shared. You guys, context is always important. I remember um, when I was in college, and, and believe it or not, this is a fun little fact for you. Uh, maybe it's just fun to me, but I don't know if you know this, but Nate Powell and I went to the same college. Does anyone know that? And, and Nate and I actually, it was called North, it's Northwestern College, it's up in the Twin Cities, and Nate and I actually um, were youth ministry majors, and we're the same age, and we had classes together, but we didn't know each other. Isn't that weird? And now we're working together, and now you confuse both of us with each other, and you send us emails and texts and all those things, and it's just, it's just pretty wild. So check your email before you send it to Nate Powell, because it might be coming to me. But so, that's just a fun little fact. But, but one time in class, one time in class, one of our professors started class. This is a godly, godly man. His name is Harvey Martin. And I remember Dr. Martin started class, and he said, I want to explain and share with all of you in this class today why I believe salvation is through baptism and baptism alone. Now, if I would stand in front of you and say that, some of you would start sitting up a little bit, wouldn't you? 
right? You'd start paying attention. You'd start be going, oh, and I'd be, I can see your eyes right now. And, and you'd be like mean mugging me. Like you'd be looking at me and you'd be like, oh, this heretic. I didn't think Nate was like this, but oh man, we got to get, you know. And so anyways, Harvey Martin, I'm not saying what he said, but he started off his class by saying, I believe that salvation is through baptism and baptism alone. And he went and he read verse after verse after verse after verse after verse about scripture passages straight from God's word that defended what he said. And then before all of us in class kind of like threw him out, if you can throw a professor out, like, like you can see like everyone's wanting to raise their hand. He's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and, and at the end, at the end, somebody did raise their hand. They said, hold on, tell me, like that, what you're saying, we don't believe what you're saying. And he said, well, I don't believe it either. I don't believe it either. Because all I did was just read a bunch of verses to you, but I took them out of context. Because in scripture, you can oftentimes take things out of context and means, mean, make them mean something very different from what they're intended to be. What I want to do with you right now is I want to um, talk about the context of what was taking place in Micah chapter 6. Because if we understand the context of what's happening in Micah chapter 6, it's going to help us understand why Micah said what he said. So in Micah chapter 6, some of the context that's important for you to know. First of all, it was written about 2,700 years ago. Now I say that because I think that's really important to understand. Okay, none of us were around. None of us remember what 2,700 years ago was. But we know that it was a long time ago. And sometimes it's easy to look into God's word and to wonder, does this even relate to my life? Maybe you've thought that before. I've thought it before. But in reality, this was written 2,700 years ago, but I promise you, as we look into the context and as we look into what Micah has to say, every one of us that's watching online or that's with us right now are going to be able to find things in this text that are going to remind you of what's going on right now in the world we live in today. What was written 2,700 years ago has direct implications to the life that we are living right now. You see, Micah, during his time, he was called by God to go to the people of Israel and to confront them on their sin. That was his job. God's like, I want you to go and I want you to call them out because these people have promised me all sorts of promises, but they're not living up to what they promised. All they're giving me is a bunch of talk and there's no action behind their talk. Also interesting to note about Micah, um, Micah brought prophecies to Judah during the reign of three kings, but only one king listened to Micah's message. Only one king. So Micah went and he confronted three kings on their sin. He told them, I need you. God wants you and is calling you to repentance, to turn and go the other way. And only one of the three kings listened to Micah, and that was King Hezekiah. He repented of his sin. He turned and he went the other way. The other kings did not, but check this out. Check out what they did. The other kings did not, but they put on a show and pretended like they did. But God knew their heart. God knew their heart. These people that were putting on a show, that were acting religious, that were looking religious, they were giving lots of money to the temple, they were saying the right prayers. At the right time, they were following the temple rules. They were jumping through the hoops of going to church, but in reality, they were completely something different. Also during the time of Micah, there were prophets and priests, and there were government rulers who were using their positions of power and authority to manipulate the laws to take advantage of the poor by taking their land 
their money, and their status. Micah was also known as the poor man's prophet. Not because he was speaking to poor people, but because he was speaking on behalf of poor people. Micah called out the leaders of their time for their wickedness and the way they ignored the poor and have taken advantage of them. Again, a lot of this sounds very, very familiar. Micah's theology to a lot of people seemed, as some people put it, as a deviant theology. And it was deviant because the people had twisted what they knew, the the prophets had twisted what they knew about God to justify and rationalize their evil behavior. Their evil was so common that Micah, who was the godly one, seemed to be deviant because of his strange theological stances, even though they were straight from God. This brings us to Micah chapter 6, which we're going to read here in just a moment. And in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, there's a very familiar passage to a lot of us that addresses what God expects from us as kingdom followers. Another thing that's interesting about Micah chapter, or Micah chapter 6 and, and the whole book of Micah is that, um, and we'll see it specifically when I read this text, is that Micah was writing, his writing was in the language of a courtroom. So when I read this text here in a moment, imagine you're in a, in a mythical courtroom, okay? You're in a courtroom, and you're going to hear the language from Micah. It was actually in that format, um, it's called covenant lawsuit. And for those reading the text 2,700 years ago, there would have been no doubt that this was courtroom language and that the people of Israel were putting, being put on trial by God. They had, a bro- they had broken their covenant and for centuries. And that covenant they had made, that was made by Abraham. And now God was taking strong legal action against his people. Hillcrest, I pray as we read this text and as we dive into what Micah was saying and what God was saying through Micah, I pray that, that, that um, we would uh, be people that are moved to action, that we are people that would not just nod and say, yeah, those are really, really good ideas, but that we would be people that would leave this place and be people that go represent Jesus to a world that desperately needs to know him. So I want to pray, and then I want to read this text, and then I want to close with some ways that I believe we, as Hillcrest Covenant Church, followers of Jesus, as kingdom people, can live this out in the world we are surrounded by. So pray with me before we read the text. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would use these words from the book of Micah. Lord, that you would use these words to challenge us just like it was a challenge to the people 2,700 years ago. And Father, I pray that you would use these words to challenge us, to convict us. And I pray, Father, the end result will be that we would be a people that repent of the ways that we have not followed through with our commitments to you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So in Micah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. Again, imagine in that courtroom setting, imagine you're hearing this um, from that perspective. Verse 1, listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. 
Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Can you imagine if God was saying that to you? If he was saying that to us? I mean, just like how convicted we might feel. Like God, but that's what's what he's saying to the people of Israel. He goes on, he says this in verse four, for I brought you out of Egypt. So he starts talking about the ways that, that he has cared for them. God is speaking. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember my people? How King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness? What can, I, what can we bring to the Lord? The people, this is the people responding. What can, I bring to the, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring burnt offerings? Should we bow before the God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Like a lot of what they're saying here is like, God, like how could, like you, we see where Israel's focus was. It was like, it was like the reason like they were, like God, my Mike was confronting them was because the money and the power and all these things had become their idols. It had become their focus. And their answer that I just read showed how much money and power and fame was the focus of their hearts. These people assumed that God was mad at them because he wanted a bigger piece of the pie. They basically told God, just tell us the price to make you happy and we will write the check. This is what triggered Micah, Micah's response in verse 8, a very popular passage that a lot of us know. But it's in verse 8 where, Micah, where God speaks through Micah and he lays down what really is important to God. And Hillcrest, if something is really, really important to God, if he's truly our king, if he sits on the throne, if he has authority in our life, if this is what is important to him, it should be important to who? To us. If your boss tells you to do something and you tell, and you tell your boss, eh, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to go over well. Because when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to all of him. We say yes to giving him authority in our life. And so in verse 8, again, a very popular passage that we know, it says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what is required of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mike is reminding them that God had told them what was good, what was expected of them, what they signed up for when they said yes to him. And now before we jump into the application, what I want to do is I want to get on the same page with all of us when we um, talk about certain terms. Because in now, in today's day and age, if we don't define terms, we're all over the map. And the first thing I want to, de I want to um, define for us is what, is what does it mean to do justice? If I asked you right now to write down the definition of what it means to do justice, we might get a lot of different answers. I want to be on the same page with what we're talking about here. Because this is a word that's oftentimes very much misused in a lot of different circles, including the church. So when we say justice, here's what we mean. Justice is to create a world where all people have equal opportunity to fully develop the gifts that God has placed within them. 
It's to create a world where all people have equal opportunity to fully develop the gifts that God has placed within them. This, my friends, involves action. We should always honor what is right as followers of Jesus. In the kingdom that God has, has put, put, called us into, we should always honor what is right and speak up for those that have no voice. Micah called out the Israelites because they knew better. Notice God did not say to love justice. He says to do justice. In God's kingdom, it is not enough to be cheering from the stands for the people that are working for justice. The people of Israel had carefully avoided this part of God's teaching. But that didn't change the fact that they knew God's teaching. Micah told them to stop using their power to benefit only themselves. And instead use it for what God originally intended it to be. Now let's talk about love mercy. Another word for mercy in some translations is kindness. Again, this is an action, not a thought. This is from the Hebrew world, hesed. It refers to God's loving kindness to us. It takes everything a step further. Showing mercy to someone is best defined as not getting what we deserve. Not getting what we deserve. Now, I bet all of us in this room probably can think of things that we have done in our life where we did not get what we deserved. I can think back to a story many times, but like I can think back to specifically a story when I was in high school. A lot of you know Tim Ciccone. Uh, Tim was on staff here for many years. Tim and I are best friends, grew up best friends, went to the same covenant church. Nate Powell did not know Tim back then, though. Um, just making that full circle there. But um, Tim and I grew up in, and we were in high school, and it was our senior prom, and we just didn't want to go. We had no desire to go. And so what Tim and I did with a bunch of buddies was instead of going to prom, we decided, hey, we're going to go have some fun tonight. And our form of fun back then was to go to a grocery store and to get two shopping carts and to fill the shopping carts with as much toilet paper as we possibly can. Because we knew that people were at prom and when they were at prom, that meant they weren't where? At home. Okay, see, I know some of you went out and TP'd people back in the day. And that's what we did. We went to our friend Sarah's house. And we knew Sarah was at prom, and Sarah was a really good friend of ours, but, but we, we, wanted to, we wanted to have a little fun at Sarah's expense. And so we bought 150 rolls of toilet paper, okay? And, and we were all pretty good athletes. We're all, like, we played baseball and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we had pretty good arms, and we did, like, the greatest TP job you could ever do on someone's house, okay? Like, like literally, you could not see their house from the road. 150 rolls is a lot, and, 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 and unfortunately, though, our prefrontal lobes in our brain hadn't fully developed very well. And so Tim and I thought, hey, let's go knock on their door when we're done so they'll wake up and turn on their light and come out. Well, Tim and I walk up to the door. We kind of creep up. And Tim just goes boom, 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 and knocks on the door. And right when he knocks on the door, the light turns on and the Joe Stings are standing right there. We got busted. Okay, we got busted. And I remember, like, we, we, um, we helped them clean up, okay, as best as we could. And, and then we, um, they asked us to come down into their basement. And it was one of the most awkward moments in my life. Like, imagine us. Like, we're all sitting down in the basement. And we're all sitting on the couch. And the Joestings leave the basement. And they head upstairs. And it felt like hours. It was probably only minutes. But we were all just sitting there in this tension, 
just this tension of like, oh man, what's next? It's like three in the morning. And, and all of a sudden we hear steps coming down and, and the Joestings appear and they have a platter of sandwiches in their hand and a couple 12 packs of Coke. And they sit down with us and they feed us all this food and they say, hey, if you just help us clean up, we're cool. And I remember just sitting back and it's like, you talk about getting something you don't deserve. We did not deserve that. Okay, we did not deserve that. Uh, I mean, but, but mercy, mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Again, this is an action step. Mercy is putting someone ahead of yourself, even when no one is telling you to do it. So this means when we see a need, when we see pain, when we see loss, when we see discrimination, when we see fear, when we see injustice, we should respond with mercy as God has shown us mercy. Lastly, walking humbly with your God. This completes what God is asking for. Humbly could also be translated as wisdom. It could be described as the basis for loving mercy and doing justice. When we walk with humility, it moves us in the opposite direction from the egocentric need to always be better than the people in our community and the world. Micah was basically saying to the Israelites, if you have a covenant relationship with God, then how you live your life in this world should reflect the kingdom of God, not the pagan gods that you have become close to. So the question for us this morning as we close is, how do we live this out? Like, it's one thing to understand these terms, but it's another thing for us to put this into practice because that's what God was calling the people of Israel to do. He wasn't telling them to just think about these things. He's saying, go and do this. Go and do this. And so I want to share six expectations. As one of your pastors here at, the, at Hillcrest Covenant Church, I want to share six expectations that I believe will help each of us live this out, to put this into practice. The first expectation is to be bold like Michael or Micah. Micah stood for the truth no matter what it cost him. What he shared was not popular with many. He was misunderstood all the time, but he built his life around trusting God's voice and not the voices around him. In the world we live in today, we need to be daily filtering our opinions and our thoughts through the lens of Scripture and not the loud voices that speak the loudest into our life. Our definition of justice, our definition of mercy, our definition of humility should never come from our political party or the voices we consume on social media or our favorite news personalities. And, it, and, and it, we need to filter everything through God's word. And if what we filter doesn't line up with what God's word says, then we change and follow what God's word says. There's so many things going on in our world where if people were just bolder to stand for Christ and stand for what scripture says, the world would be different. People would see things that are different. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. If you find yourself feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, being kind to a stranger, 
Loving your neighbor, remembering the prisoner, standing up for the marginalized, defending those who are being ignored or taken advantage of, and welcoming the refugee, you probably find yourself in a place where God is giving you a high five and saying, this is what it means to live in my kingdom. So expectation number one, Hillcrest Covenant Church, be bold like Micah. Expectation number two, now hear me out on this one, because it's going to come out a little bit odd, but hear me. See yourself as the Israelites. Many commentators have observed that American Christians often approach Scripture with a hermeneutic of privilege. In other words, because they are Christians, they see themselves as the prophet Micah in this passage, which is a privileged position, and that assumed privileged position gives them the authority to show others the way to live. Past history would teach us to see ourselves as the Israelites. Though God's chosen people, the Israelites were sinful. They were stuck in the is. They were stuck in the messiness. They were stuck in the brokenness. Who constantly failed to obey God's word. They needed constant reminders to walk humbly with him. Just as we do. Humility is a struggle even for Christians. And we see this in the story in stories all throughout scripture, but one in particular is the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus is approached by this high-ranking Jewish person. And this man approaches Jesus and he asks a very loaded but simple question. He says, who is my neighbor? If he were to answer his own question, it would definitely be someone just like me. But like the Israelites, like, like the Israelites in Micah, he would approach the question with a hermeneutic of privilege. That is, until Jesus makes the the hero of the story somebody who this person hated. Somebody not like him at all. Hillcrest, when we humble ourselves, when you and I walk with God, we get to see the brokenness in our own life. We get to see and deal with the log in our own eye first. And by doing so, it's going to open up a pathway for God to work in us before we ever, ever represent him to others. I love what N.T. Wright, an author, says in the book Lent for Everyone. He says, no church, no Christian can remain content with living in a way that allows us to watch most of the world lying half dead in the road and pass by. Expectation number three, walk but don't point. The hotel chain Ritz-Carlton has a leadership value that I think can apply to what we are discussing today. Their value is simple. Don't give verbal or don't give guests verbal directions. Walk with them instead. Getting verbal directions oftentimes unsettles people, especially when they're unfamiliar with their surroundings. So at the Ritz-Carlton, when a customer asks how to get somewhere, they don't just point, they physically walk their guests to their destination. I wonder what God's kingdom on earth would look like if you and I did more walking humbly with instead of pointing carelessly towards. Many people around us are hurting and they've rejected God and his plan for their life. They're stuck in the mess of this world and have no idea what their life can be like when they see Jesus for who he really is. When you and I walk humbly with others, people get to see in action what it means to truly follow the risen Savior. They get to see in action what it means 
to live the life that God has called them to live. And they can get to see us be real about the pain and the heartache in our life and how we don't have to take that all on our own, but we get to actually trust that pain and that difficulty to a God that can do something about it. So expectation number three is walk with people. Don't just point. Expectation number four, love what God loves. Living out Micah 6, 8 involves loving who and what God loves. He clearly loves justice. He clearly loves mercy. And he clearly loves it when you and I walk humbly. Yet many people who claim to be walking with God turn a blind eye to the injustice that happen around them all the time. Many times it's out of fear because they don't know what to do about it. Other times it's because they assume that if they stand up, they're going to be criticized and called names. Other times it's because the the information and the inspiration comes from anything but scripture. And while there are hateful and overbearing ways to seek justice, God encourages us to seek it in a peaceful way, in a God-honoring way in a way where the fruits of the Spirit come flowing from our life so that God gets the glory and we get to love what he loves. Expectation number five, flip the script. Last month, the Barna Institute released a study of 24,870 teenagers that were surveyed over 26 countries. The study found that generally global teens like Jesus and are curious about his message, and often want to learn more about his compassion, forgiveness, and care for others. Let me say that one more time. This is not a small sample size. 24,870 teenagers survived across, uh, surveyed across 26 countries. So think about that. I mean, like, think about Arrowhead Stadium, right? Seats, what, 75,000 people? Fill the Arrowhead Stadium a third with people. That's how many people were surveyed. That's a lot of people. And they're teenagers from all over the world, from 26 different countries. And these teenagers, oftentimes um, in this survey, said that they want to learn more about Jesus' compassion, forgiveness, and care for others, which is really, really good news. Like, they're open hearts. But the bad news is, they don't like Christians nearly as much as as they like Jesus. The study showed that the teens today believe that Jesus is more loving, judgmental, or I'm sorry, Jesus is more loving, wise, and peaceful than the Christians that they know. And Christians are seen as more judgmental and hypocritical than Jesus. Simply put, Hillcrest, we can do better. And Micah 6.8 is a wonderful template for us to use to flip the script, to change the narrative, and to show the world what the boundary lines of God's kingdom really look like. I love the famous lines from Brennan Manning. and They seem to fit really, really well in this context. Brennan says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in this world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Last but not least, expectation number six. Repent and repeat. Part of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly involves seeing ourselves as human, not as superior or better than other people. We all have a log in our eye and we need help with it. As Matthew 7, 5 points out, you hypocrite, first take out the plank in your own eye and then you will clearly 
you will, uh, it will, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Too often the is in our life gets the best of us. Too often we define our life based on the mess and the brokenness that we've experienced. And we fail to repent from those things, from those broken areas of our life. And we fail to come to the cross. The ground is level at the cross. And Hilchus, it is time that we come to the cross and we repent of the ways that we have fallen short. When we repent, we turn and we go the other way. So today, what I would love to invite us to do, Jason and the band is going to come forward and we're going to close with a song. And on your seats, you're going to see a card that, that says on it, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. What I would like to invite you to do is to take this card out, grab the pen in front of you, and I would like to invite you to circle the word or words, if there's more than just one, that connect to where God is calling you to repent and move in a new way when it comes to doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And in a moment, I'm going to pray over us. And as I pray over us, the song is going to start. And when the song starts, I want to invite you to come forward and take your card that symbolizes the part of your life that you want to turn from. The part of your life where you are not measuring up. The part of your life where the the sin and the brokenness that is in your life is getting the best of you. And I'm going to invite you to come forward and I want you to pin it to the cross as the first service did. Acknowledging the need for repentance and acknowledging the fact that only God is the one that can do something about the sin and the brokenness in our life. And the hope would be that we would not just do this and be done, but that we would leave here motivated to be people of action. Whatever we're repenting of, we're inviting you to start living into, to start making a difference in this area. And there are going to be opportunities here at the church for you to live into this. There's going to be opportunities for you to speak into this, to have more discussions about what it means to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. And we would invite you to be a part of that. Also, our prayer team is going to be up front as well. So if you, after um, placing your card of repentance on the cross, would like someone to pray for you, they will be here as well. But let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, as we come to your cross, as we come before you as broken people. Father God, I pray that you would use us to be a vessel for you. God, that you would use us to be people that that don't just stand back and think, you know, like, oh, these are good ideas. But God, we would be people that take the next step. God, that we would be bold like Micah. God, that we would be bold, not because we think we can do it, but we know that, that the God that created the universe, the God that spoke into the messiness of this world, the God that died on a cross, that rose from the dead, gives us the same power that he gave his son to rise from the dead. He gives that to us. And we get to come to your cross, Lord. And we get to do business with you. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would give us the courage to not just circle a couple words, but that you would give us the courage to take some next steps to live into this call that you have on our life. God, we thank you for your kingdom. And we pray that the world around us would see followers of Jesus that are taking steps, that are putting your words into practice and following the commands that you give us. God, we thank you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.